Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you for the reminder, for the truth that we just sung, that in your name there is power. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that we would be a people that would live to glorify your name. Lord, that we wouldn't just hear your word, be hearers, but that we would be doers of your word. And that we would uh, be so transformed by the power of grace that, uh, that we would see uh, the truths that you give us today in your word and the truths that are uh, throughout the entire scripture as, as, as a great gift for us, as a great blessing for us. That we wouldn't see these things as things that we have to do because, Lord, there's nothing that we have to do to be saved. But there's something that we get to do. We get to do these things. We, we, we are granted this life as a gift because of everything that you've accomplished for us already on the cross. So, Lord, open our hearts. Open our lives to you today. And, Lord, I pray that we would understand the power of words, the power of the words that we speak, and the power of the word of the gospel which you speak over us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We've been going through the, the letter of James. You may be seated. We've been going through this letter... Uh, from James to the churches. And this letter from James teaches us many truths, very practical truths, about our lives as believers in Jesus Christ. And today we come to James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, reading in Jesus' name. James writes, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. We, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large, and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever they will, of the pilot's direct, as the pilot directs. So also, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Here ends the reading of God's word. Amen.
The reminder from James today, brothers and sisters in Christ, is this. Words are powerful. Words are powerful. Your words are powerful. My words are powerful. The words that that come out of our mouths, they will bring blessing and do good. Or the words that come out of our mouths will be a curse and do great damage. Words are powerful. I want us to watch this video which illustrates the power of words. A woman was gossiping with a friend about a man she hardly knew. I know none of you have ever done this. That night she had a dream. A great hand appeared over her and pointed down at her. She was immediately seized with an overwhelming sense of guilt. The next day she went to confession. She got the old parish priest, Father Arark. She told him the whole thing. Is gossiping a sin? She asked the old man. Was that the hand of God Almighty pointing a finger at me? Should I be asking your absolution, Father? Tell me, have I done something wrong? Yes, Father O'Rourke answered her. Yes, you ignorant, badly brought up female. You've borne false witness against your neighbor. You've played fast and loose with his reputation, and you should be heartily ashamed. So, the woman said she was sorry and asked for forgiveness. Not so fast, says O'Rourke. I want you to go home, take a pillar upon your roof, cut it open with a knife, and return here to me. So the woman went home, took a pillow off her bed, a knife from the drawer, went up the fire escape to her roof, and stabbed the pillow. Then she went back to the old parish priest as instructed. Did you gut the pillow with a knife? He says. Yes, father. And what was the result? Feathers, she said. Feathers, he repeated. Feathers everywhere, father. Now, I want you to go back and gather up every last feather that flew out on the wind. Well, she said, it can't be done. I don't know where they went. The wind took them all over. And that, said Father O'Rourke, is gossip. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Please rise. What a powerful illustration of the power of words. The words that we speak can do great good. 
or the words that we speak can do great damage, irreparable harm to the reputation of others. So James says, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, these things ought not to be so. So James says that that though the, the tongue is a small part of the body, it does some pretty big things. It does some really big things. The words produced by the tongue are either a blessing or a curse to others. So Jesus, or, uh, James uses two examples of the power of words. First of all, he uses the example of a bit in the horse of a mouth. The bit in the horse of the mouth is very small in comparison to such a large animal. Yet the person who rides the horse can steer the entire animal with the bit in the mouth of the horse. And also consider a rudder on a ship. Now, there are massive vessels, massive cruise ships. I think they're launching the largest cruise ship uh, in, in the history of the world very soon. And it, in, in comparison to that massive ship, it has a very small rudder. Yet that small rudder has the ability to steer the ship in any direction that the pilot chooses to go, either in a, in a good direction or in a destructive direction. James also speaks of uh, the destructive power of words by using the, the example of, of a small flame or of a spark. And we're all too familiar with, with the destructive forces of wildfires here in the state of Washington. Even a small spark from a small engine like a chainsaw or a, a weed eater can set uh, hundreds and hundreds of acres ablaze, causing great destruction to our lands, and even to property and life. So the little, the little bit in a horse's mouth, or, or the rudder which is small relative to the size of the ship, or even a little spark, are powerful. And so is the tongue. The tongue, the words that we speak, have great power for good or for evil. So I just want you to, to take a moment to think of lives destroyed by words. You probably have seen it in your own life or you've seen it uh, within your family because families can be ripped apart by words. How many of you ever said something and you wish you could take it back because you understand how destructive those words were. Communities are ripped apart by words. Nations are torn apart by words. Churches are destroyed by words. All by the power of words. So we should, we should never play fast and loose with the tongue or fast and loose with the reputation of others because words are powerful. And we're also reminded by Jesus that God, the final judge, hears every word that is spoken. That's a scary thought. That is such a frightening thought if you don't have the assurance 
of forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. That God hears every word and he judges every word. Man, so let me ask you this question. Is God happy with the words that you have spoken? Is he happy with what you have said? Let's uh, be reminded here of of what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, verses 35 through 37. And I read this this verse a few weeks ago. Jesus says, The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil, evil. And then Jesus says this, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. They'll give an account for every careless word. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Martin Luther, in his explanation of the Eighth Commandment, says that we should fear and love God so that we do not tell lies about our neighbor, betray him, slander him, or hurt his reputation, but defend him, speak well of him, and I love this, and explain everything in the kindest way. Words are so powerful that there's an entire commandment that's about the power of words, the eighth commandment, thou shall not lie. And we know that it applies to much more than just telling fibs. It applies to how we use our words. You see, our old nature will try to convince us that words don't mean anything. Many people will say, well, words don't really mean a whole lot. And sometimes, really, they don't when it comes to uh, saying, hey, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. We know that from many people as they make promises on, in advertising or in politics. But words do mean something. And they mean a whole lot. On the day of judgment, many people will be condemned because they have played fast and loose with their words. Some have said that there's a fire that comes from above and that there's a fire that comes from below. And the fire that comes from above is is the good work of the Holy Spirit. It, it, It is the Holy Spirit who purifies us. And and it's the Holy Spirit who's a light unto our path. And he brings forth comfort and and warmth. He fills us so that our words are a light and comfort and warmth. But then there are some that says that there's a fire from below which consumes the soul. And it comes out of the life and it comes out of the mouth causing destruction. fire from above. There's a fire from below. One brings blessing. The other brings cursing. So words are powerful. And so James says that therefore not many of you should become teachers. Why? Because those who teach wield unbelievable power. They have great influence. 
So he says, therefore, not many of you should become teachers. Now, James isn't saying that those who sense a call to teach and preach shouldn't teach and preach, but James is elevating the vocation of teaching and preaching to a level that requires a certain level of discernment and vetting on the part of the body of Christ. Because words are powerful. We as a congregation, we must hold and maintain a high standard of who we allow to teach our children, our youth, and our adults. So how do we know if a teacher or a preacher is approved? Well, we need to ask the question, is the content of their teaching in accordance with the Word of God? Does their teaching agree with the Bible? If the teaching is in accord with the Word of God, then they're an approved teacher. You see, the Bible never says that my opinion, that my opinion is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The Bible never says that that such and such an author is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Uh, The the Bible never says that such and such a, a doctrinal statement is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The psalmist says what? Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It's the word of God. Preachers and authors and doctrinal statements are good and they're helpful when they are a reflection of the Word of God. So we keep listening to faithful preachers and faithful teachers and we, and we thank the Lord for them. And we keep reading faithful authors and we continue confessing uh, doctrinal statements that are in accordance with the Word of God because all of them are good when they speak the truths of Scripture. Now it's true. I'm not able to keep my tongue in perfect check. I struggle with my words the same way that you struggle with your words. Just ask my wife. Just ask my kids. Ask anybody who's close to me. And they'll say, well, he probably shouldn't have said that. And there have been many times in my life where I've spoken, I said, I wish I never would have said that. Because I've I've set a fire with my words. None of us are able to keep our tongues in perfect check. None of us are able to keep our lives in perfect check. That's why James says, for we all stumble in many ways. Each and every one of us stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man or a perfect woman, able also to bridle his whole body. So James here, he says, none of us are perfect. There isn't a preacher out there. There isn't a Christian out there that is perfect. We know from the scriptures that there is only one who is perfect, and that is Jesus What are we being taught here? We need to have grace. 
and understanding and compassion and forgiveness towards one another. Because eventually you're going to say something that's going to offend me, and eventually I'm going to say something that's going to offend you. So we need to have the same grace of Jesus Christ towards each other. None of us are perfect in what we say. None of us. So, so in God's eyes, in this relationship that we have with the Lord, what hope is there for us? None of us are perfect. And Jesus himself said that you must be perfect. As your heavenly Father is perfect. What hope is there for us? None of us are perfect in what we say. And we'll be judged by our words. We'll be judged by our actions. We'll even be judged by our thoughts and intentions. What hope is there for us? What hope is there that we'll be saved on the day of judgment? The only hope any of us have on this day, which is coming, this day of judgment... The only hope we have on that day when we stand before God's throne is the power of words. Let me explain. Not the power of my words or of your words, but the power of God's word. The power of the word that he has spoken over your life. Specifically, the power of the word of the gospel, of the good news. The only hope we have to be saved is the word of the gospel. Did you know that the power of your words and my words are nothing in comparison to the power of God's word and the gospel? You see, when God speaks... It happens. We go all the way to the beginning of the book, to creation. When God sp spoke, uh, the universe came into existence. God speaks and it's done. When Jesus spoke at the grave of Lazarus, and he said, hey, Lazarus, come forth, what happened? Life entered into Lazarus' body, and he came out of the tomb. The only hope that we have on the day of judgment is the word, the powerful word of Jesus. So I want us today to think of what Jesus spoke from the cross. And he speaks these words into your life today. And they come to pass. Jesus could have hurled down curses upon those who crucified him. Think of the wickedness and the evil in the hearts of those that crucified Jesus. He could have cursed them from the cross, but he didn't. Jesus said, Father, what? Forgive them. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Does Jesus speak those same words to you? Yes. Absolutely. He has spoken over your life. 
He has said, Father, forgive him. Forgive her. He's your advocate before the Father. He loves you. And you have the forgiveness of all of your sins. That's the word that saves you. The word of Jesus. When Jesus says, you are forgiven, you are forgiven. So hear it once again today. Your sins are forgiven. How can he forgive me? How can he forgive me? I've sinned so grievously. My words have been wicked. My words have, have created great have caused great damage. How can I be forgiven by Jesus? Well, Jesus spoke these words from the cross. Mark 15, 34. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What do these words mean? What is Jesus talking about? Well, we know that you and I are forgiven only because Jesus took the wrath of God on your behalf. Church, listen, he willingly suffered the punishment that you deserve. He willingly suffered the punishment that you deserve in your place. He paid the penalty for your sin. He took the wrath that we deserve. I heard from a preacher one time, the greatest sinner that ever lived, was Jesus at that moment on the cross. Because at that moment as he hung upon the cross, he took the sin of the world upon himself. Not that he committed sin, not that he uh, did evil, but that he absorbed the sin of humanity. All of your sin and all of my sin was laid upon Jesus and God's wrath fell upon him. And he willingly did this out of love. This is like... A judge not only forgiving the murderer, not only just forgiving the murderer, but also serving the death penalty on behalf of the murderer so that the murderer could go free. When Jesus said in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was expressing the agony of taking the penalty of sin, of being separated from God on your behalf. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And it happened. It's made possible because of the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross. It's only by his sacrificial death that you are forgiven. But then he spoke other words from the cross. Jesus' last words upon the cross are spoken upon your life today. John 19.30 When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said what? It is finished. 
He bowed his head and gave up his spirit. What do these words teach us? Everything that needed to be accomplished for your salvation was completely finished upon the cross. Jesus won salvation for you. He accomplished and finished everything. So church, we we don't speak words of blessing in an attempt to earn God's forgiveness and salvation. We speak words of, of kindness and of blessing because of what Jesus accomplished for us in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection. Everything that needed to be accomplished for your salvation was completely finished upon the cross. So listen to this. It is finished. Your sin is atoned for. The psalmist says in Psalm 103:12, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our sins from us. How far is the east from the west? I don't know. I'm not a scientist. But it's a pretty long distance. In other words, it's just, it's gone. Your sins are removed. The price has been paid. So you should never look to your own good works for assurance of salvation. Look to the cross alone. Look to the cross alone for the assurance that you are loved, you are forgiven, you are secure in Jesus. And when you look to the cross and see and hear the words of our Savior, you know that he loves you, that he forgives you, and that he makes all things new. If you look for assurance of your salvation in your own life and in your own actions and in your own words, you're never going to find assurance there. There is no assurance of salvation that comes from our own lives. It's outside of ourselves. It's from Jesus, and it's bestowed upon us as a free gift. So church, we're unable to keep our words and life in check. But Jesus, who lived his whole life in accordance with God's word and and lovingly sacrificed his life, he alone is your source of assurance, and he is your only source of, of peace today. You and I, we've made a mess of feathers with our words. There's no way we can redeem all of that and collect all of those and bring them back into one place again and to to make amends perfectly. It's like a forest fire set on fire. There's nothing you can do to get that forest back except to wait for the grace of time, I guess, to cause the forest to grow again, but... But in this, uh, in this amazing love of Jesus poured out upon the cross, it's all forgiven. And amends have been made with God. And then this amazing thing happens. Through the power of his grace, you then are enabled by him to try to make amends with others. You're not always able to. But as far as it depends on you, by the power of his grace, you can make amends with those that you have hurt with your words. So who do you need to make amends with today? Is there somebody in your family? A friend? Somebody that you need to maybe
pray about calling to make amends. As far as it depends upon you, the power of his grace, great things can happen when we come before one another with humility and forgiveness and grace. That grace that Jesus gave to us can be poured out into the lives of others. So if you've offended, you desire to make amends. As far as it depends upon you, grace can change things. It can take, grace can take what was ripped apart and, and was, was, uh, became irreparable, irreparable, what was spread, up, spread abroad by the wind, grace can mend even that. Let's pray to this loving Savior who loves us and gave everything for us and who desires to transform our lives and our words. Lord Jesus, we come before you today with humble hearts. One of the main themes in James is humility. And we humble ourselves before you today. We humble ourselves before you with repentant hearts, saying, Lord Jesus, forgive us. Forgive us. And we say, Lord Jesus, thank you for the words that you spoke from the cross, which are spoken over our lives. And it's through hearing your word, your sins are forgiven. It's through trusting in the fact that you took the penalty you took and paid the price of our sins in your own body. It's by trusting and believing those last words from the cross that is finished. May our hearts be set at peace. May you fill us with your Holy Spirit. May you fill our mouths with your Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.